All right, and welcome to the Sin Some Nasty Time podcast. I'm your host, TJ Landemeyer. With me, as always, James O'Hara. Hello. And that's the entire cast for this evening. Uh, Sean yeah. Hogan is on assignment. Uh, so uh, we're going to take you through the last couple well, of weeks. I think now this means next introduction. It's with me, as always, James O'Hara. And with me most of the time, <laughs> as most of the time, is Sean Hogan. It's fair. It's a fair point. I know, get always. Now, leave me alone with your advertisements. I just... <laughs> so the last time we recorded was April was it 20th. I think so. It was or like 19th. right at two weeks ago. around there. Yep. So they just... Because I know we talked about that Pirates and the Braves mm-hmm. series. Uh, where the Braves it be, it briefly felt kind of positive and then the Pirates series did not. Uh, and then, it, depending on where we were with the Diamondback series, it was the similar story where they swept that doubleheader, and you were like, "Oh well, they're definitely at least we're not the Diamondbacks. Like those guys <laughs> really suck." And then proceeded to lose eleven to two Perfect. the next game, and then lost four to three. Uh, so I guess at least that one was close, but uh, definitely disappointing. You thought, well, okay, and I think this happened last year too with the Diamondback series where they won the first game or two. Cause I know I have a meme in my meme folders of making <laughs> fun of the Diamondbacks or it's just like, Oh man, you guys, you know, I guess on the one hand, that's why you have to throw the meme out so fast in case things turn. But on the yeah. other hand, you guys got to stop doing this to me. I keep making fun of the <laughs> Diamondbacks and then you start getting crushed by them. Um, and then they had that really great <laughs> series against yeah. the Giants at home. Which is uh, not much to say about that. Because I mean, the Giants were good, so I mean, you don't want to lose that badly. But, but you know, the, losing to a good team, you can kind of excuse. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the worst Giants, one was like, definitely they the were competitive series. in one of those games. <laughs> uh yes, yeah. Saturday five to two. Yeah, the other one seven to one, twelve to three. I don't remember. I didn't really watch that much of that series because I was at a wedding that weekend. Uh, I was kind of looking in and out. Yeah. And once you see that the team no. is losing pretty badly, you don't really but make yeah, a priority to check back in. This um, this Marlins series was rough. So um, yeah, I mean the Marlins. I mean, oh, they were at least competitive the entire way through. But to drop the entire series to a team that we had basically saying we're going to be neck and neck at the bottom of the division with us. Uh, wasn't pleasant. Right. Right. No, and it comes, it's completely, it's one thing to say, like I said, you, you can lose bad team, lose to bad teams. You can lose to good teams. You can have bad games against good teams. That's to be expected. You're not, you know, we don't expect the Nets to be good this year. Uh, so if they're going to come, the Giants are going to come in and beat the crap out of them because they're in a hundred win team. That's what you're going to expect. You're not expecting to compete every single series. What was disappointing, especially after that Marlins sweep, was that that was 0-3 against the Marlins, two and two against the Diamondbacks, and then one and three against the Pirates. It's like these are bad teams that you know you should be. You know, at least getting, you know, splitting the series, or you should have probably a slate winning record 
against them, especially based on the difference between how the Nats are building, doing their rebuild versus how the Pirates and what the Pirates and the Diamondbacks and the Marlins are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't really right. have much in terms of better players, if if at all. I mean, none of them have Juan Soto or anybody approximating Juan Soto. None of them really even have somebody approximating Josh Bell. I think maybe the Diamondbacks, Cuddle Marte, you could say, depending on the year, might be about as good as Josh Bell. Uh, the Marlins, I mean, maybe Brian Anderson or Jazz Chisholm, but I mean, Jazz Chisholm really is, yeah. he's exciting, yeah. but he's not good yet. Um, you know, and the Pirates have absolutely nobody. That's why we got Josh Bell from them. <laughs> so, it's a uh, it, it. These are teams that, even though they're all, you know, even though the Nats are not a good, real well-rounded, they have a lot of holes. They still have much better higher-end top players that they should be able to be winning these games more than they're losing them. So that was really, yeah, uh, especially to kind of finish out the month that way. Although they had a couple more games in April, but you know that was kind of finishing one stretch of April. No. You know, and a lot of home, a lot no. of home games, a lot of games against <clears throat> yeah, bad teams. The, the stretch against the bad teams. Well, this isn't going to be a good team, the, but they should have. They could at least be above five hundred. If you split those, they were not. <laughs> you pick up an extra win against the Pirates. Not even close. So, let's say an extra win against the Marlins. Again, you're not getting to five hundred, but you're still, you're still closer. Yeah. Um, You still look respectable. Yeah, if you if you get you get like one extra win against uh, out of each of those, I mean that puts them at twelve and thirteen. So I mean you're pretty much at five hundred at that point. So I mean it was nice uh, that they then turned that back around uh, in that giant <laughs> series, taking two of three from the Giants. Uh, they won last night, big again against the Rockies. So you know, maybe the thing we need to conclude from this is that they don't like their fans because <laughs> the their two best the two series they have won this season are both on the road against opponents that are far better than a lot of the ones they've lost at home to because uh, they, they they took that series early on against the Braves and then they took this series against the Giants uh, and it was just especially funny that whole Giants series after they had just gotten crushed at home. And we're looking, you know, got crushed at home by the Giants, then followed that up by getting swept by the Marlins. And it's like, well, this team just looks really bad. And they're like, all right, well, we're just going to win 14 to four and then 11 to five <laughs> in two of the three games. Look like had like 22 hits Friday night on Apple TV in front of the whatever national audience is watching an Apple TV game, Friday night game. Uh, you know, if that's the only time, if you're only following this sport through Apple TV Friday night games, you saw the Nats two times so far. You saw them that one game against the Mets. They did lose, uh, but they looked a little interesting. Uh, they ended up in a fight, a benches clearing brawl on the second night of the season. And then you see them beating the crap of the Giants, and you must be like, oh, this team's pretty good. You know, they, they play, you know, 
They had two tough teams they were playing in the Mets and the Giants. They split those games. They looked really good in the second yeah, one. It's one of those where it's like, like how, how are they this bad? Every we'll time I watch them, they look great. Like the next, whatever, next time they finally have another Friday yeah, so Apple happens, TV you've game, they'll be like, three times. 20 games under 500, and Apple TV fans will just be shocked. Like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> If only, if only that could be the way I watch them. So, yeah, it's not great. My first, my, my bold prediction at the beginning of the season was that I thought they'd have a winning record in April, which looked like there was a puncher's chance based on the opponents. And you know, that's something we see a lot with these kind of very veteran teams where they're, you know, kind of older, but they still have some play in them is, they'll play well in those early months when other guys, you know, especially young guys, you're still getting their feet <laughs> underneath them and all that. And it's like, Oh, this old guy. Well, he knows, you know, he can get up out of bed and he can play baseball. Uh, and then the issue is that two months in, he's been getting out of bed too many times to play baseball. You can't get out of bed anymore. Uh, then your old team goes down the tube. Uh, so that, that would be normally what we would see. So it was a little bit surprising uh, that we, we did it. they didn't get out to that kind of start. Um, hopefully, the positive side of that is we'll see some of the see more willingness to get rid of some of these veteran guys. So far, not really, but you know, guys like Alcides Escobar, Cesar Hernandez, um, some of these other, even Nelson Cruz, some of these veterans who really come to a, a terrible start to the season uh, and some of these cases have good young backups behind them in AAA or you know interesting young people who, who might be worth seeing if they have something we, uh, or not we need Nelson Cruz the, to go know, on not just Kyle Luis Schwarber Garcia like you could also get guys like and just obliterate a baseball for a you while know, if somebody looks like they're completely cooked it might be interesting to bring in somebody else from AAA uh, and give them a chance so Yeah, I, it's, I think that's the hope is that with, with Cruz especially is that it's like like Schwarber and Bell last year starting out in D.C. in April doesn't help you look good uh, and you're in a new spot. Uh, the, the concerning thing with, mm-hmm. um, with Cruz so far is that his uh, exit velocity is a lot lower than it has been in the past. So... That could be a concern if he's not if he doesn't pick that up. Uh, he's not getting the same kind of hard contact that he has in the past, and this is pretty much a hitter that needs to have hard contact, or he's not useful. He has no foot speed whatsoever. Um, the other mm-hmm. issue with Cruz is the, the potential change in the baseball and the use of the humidors in every park now. If that's making it harder to get the those extra ten feet kind of squeakers over the fence turning it, those are going from home runs into outs, then that makes it a lot harder again for Cruz where he's going to become even more dependent on hitting the ball hard. Uh, Cause he, you know, if the only way you get a home run is by crushing it, then, you know, he's got to be crushing it at a very high rate or he's not going to get as many home runs. And then that's going to require a lot more base running. And like we said, that's not his forte. So uh, you, you would definitely hope that, the warmer weather 
will help him and you know maybe getting a little <laughs> well, bit more used to being schedule. in dc will help him and get him I'm ready also you'll looking at it get a, to uh, some of these hits that he has be able to sneak uh, over the, the fence again was on these days more hard contact I feel overall like when they were home it like be a little got bit more helpful because right now he is being very unhelpful. just about every time they were home <laughs> Yeah, it was really weird. Is that uh, when they they went on the road? It was cold for that Met series. They went on the road, and it was pretty warm a good amount of those days. Then they came back. Uh, when they came back home with that Diamondback series, it got cold again, uh, and it was very cold in that Marlins series. So it it was really weird. Um, I think the Giant series, the weather wasn't that bad, but it wasn't like super hot. So. What we're really looking for is a lot. So uh, more what you're telling me is that next week when the Mets are in town, uh, we in can count spring, it cold. You know, early June, you know, that's where Schwarber really took off is when the weather started consistently being nice. Uh, and you can <laughs> you know, get the ball through the air. <laughs> Had a lot less resistance. Uh, speaking of which, I'm, I have this all open on my Almost iPad there. right now. Yeah, so uh, definitely be ready with your garden. Have page. blankets for your your flowers your ready. Little images so they you get don't on the tabs. go to to shock based on it the cold weather. The next logo back with them. So <laughs> it makes no sense, and I open another one just to make sure. And yeah, the national schedule yep. page has a New York Mets logo. That's weird. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, that would be unfortunate. I guess I mean, that unless, was some sort of deal just since they lost the series. Then that'd be okay. That they had between that'd the owners fine. or something. Um, that is very odd. <laughs> hopefully they're not the Met. Hopefully they're not owned by the Mets in some way. Now that would be disappointing. Mm-hmm. He's still killing it in AAA, isn't uh, he? We'll have to see. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, go overall point, I mean, really what we need to see is more guys. What's baffling is guys like Luis Garcia not being up yet for the Nationals. Yeah, I, I think he had at one point had three home runs in a row. Uh, like there's a couple nights here and there where he's been 0 for 4 or whatever, but overall his numbers are very good. His numbers last year in AAA were very good. Uh, the people ahead of, ostensibly ahead of him in the majors, like Elcides Escobar has a 50 WRC plus, Lucius Fox, negative 45, D Strange Gordon, negative yeah, 100, great on WRC plus of 165. It's, it's only in three plate appearances. Um, you know, Cesar Hernandez is at a 91. So he's just barely at a useful level. Um, but right. So I, that's pretty good. Um, I, I think a lot of guys we've seen, you know, he's not, it's not a direct translation, obviously from AAA to the major leagues. We've seen plenty of guys, uh, you know, Steve Lombardozzi, I think Danny Espinosa, guys like that <laughs> who didn't amount to Jeff Coburnus, you know, middle infielders like that who, didn't amount to much. Also, yeah. pro- had WRC plus 
you know, pretty high WRC pluses in AAA when they were ready to come up when they were younger. Because uh, it is just, there's a huge jump from AAA to the majors. The problem is that if you're hitting like that in AAA, you need to come up and either sink or swim. Because it's just not going to help you to just keep getting those AAA at-bats where you're killing it. You know, this isn't a situation like mm-hmm. B-Boom or Michael A. Taylor or Victor Robles last year. Uh, or even on like the pitching side, Drew Storen, where you're sending this guy who's had success back to AAA and also they're having some trouble in AAA because whatever bad habits they've gotten into their swing, um, you know, they need to work out and it's not just because, you know, it facing the easier pitching, the simpler to read pitches that you would see out of a AAA pitcher's hand isn't enough for them to just start hitting. They need to kind of get their mechanics, yeah, get I mean, their mind right. See if he's a, get all back know, a sync, and they, back, they can come back to the majors. <clears throat> and if that's the case, I, he is, that's fine. He's been, that he's crushing it. He's guys, consistently crushing it. He needs to have that challenge. That in the and if he does come up to the majors and doesn't hit well, you need to have that data. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think the Nats are just obsessing too much with, well, where is he going to fit in defensively? And I, you're, I think you're a step too, he- too far ahead with that question because you have so many open I mean, spots this on is the a field team right that now. Trey Turner plays you can center fit field. him almost anywhere. Like, <laughs> as long as the position also, is not your right team field, is not good. Yo, he can so play anywhere else. <laughs> and the person that you would catch her, maybe. But I don't think you're going to make Luis Garcia a catcher out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Right. It, it's the whole point. Yeah. Right. Because what you need to learn this year is whether he can hit in the majors or not. Because if he can hit, you'll you can work and find a way to make everything else work out and find a position that he can play defensively and put the right people around him. Whether it's shortstop somehow, and then you need to. Yeah. work on getting better defenders at third and at second. And you have some real emphasis on your shifts and how you position your infielders to get the most out of him there, or whether it's second base, no. third base, left field, first base. <laughs> I think he's probably a little too short for first base, but you know, or even center field with like Trey Turner. I mean, he probably does not quite have the speed for that, but I mean, you can put him, none of those positions are claimed. You know, I, I like Victor Robles. I want Victor Robles to succeed. It makes things a lot better for the Nats if Victor Robles is their starting center fielder. But at this point, you can't say that he's claimed that spot either. That if Luis Garcia comes up to the majors <laughs> and is crushing it hitting-wise, and for some reason and you say, well, we have solutions at second and shortstop and third base so and left field, so center field is the only spot open. We're going to put him in center field. Nobody's going to be like, oh, but what about Victor Robles? What do you mean? So it, it it's weird. It's very obvious at this point uh, that it's some sort of service time manipulation. I think the Nets, you know, the last two seasons, you slightly to their credit, did bring him up when maybe he wasn't quite ready yet, just because he was a better option than some of the other options they could have. And they were trying to be competitive yeah. and they wanted to bring up a backup that might be able to help the team win. 
Um, and then, in, you know, in the case of like la- the end of last season, there just wasn't enough players to play. So you might as well, you know, put them on the field. And then, ma- you know, and maybe the calculus also at the end of last season when they had traded Turner and Scherzer away was, you know, let's start Garcia, let's start Keyboom. And if they just crush it, you know, start Thomas, start Robles, and all these guys that they're crushing it, then we can invest more this offseason to try to build around them, you know, and Josiah Gray. But since Gray looked, eh, Garcia didn't really hit that well in the majors. Keyboom, briefly for a second, looked like he might have figured it out and then started hitting badly. Robles ended up getting sent back down to AAA. Uh, Lane Thomas looked good, but he is also 28. He's almost, you know, he's kind of like the hitter's Eric Fetty. Uh, yeah, I, it could have just been that they played them at the end of last year and then realized, you know, they weren't quite ready for prime time and they weren't going to invest in the offseason. And then now, since they played him so much, they're like, well, we don't want to lose a year of control because we had we played him in those other situations. So we're just going to have him sit until the middle of May in AAA. And actually, it's not the middle of May. It's like the end of May. I think May 26th is when he can come up and finally not be uh, a service time. I I don't remember if it's service time year or if it's Super 2 that they're trying to avoid. But... Yeah. So it potentially. So it's not not 100% certain. The other thing that you know, might play to their advantage, even if it's super two is that they have, there are a lot more teams that have called up rookies. Uh, and it's kind of a super two, I think is by class. So it's, you know, if you hit that amount, that target, uh, then, you know, the target is set as like a percentage of all the service time of people who are over two years. And it's like some percent, you know, a percentage of those people, are who have the highest amount then get to become arbitration eligible who are not previously arbitration eligible so they could manipulate it just enough without having to wait a long time to get his two number lower than some of those rookies uh who would be able, who would take up the position since it is slot it is a slot you can kind of figure out who is going to be in it right now and how many days mm-hmm. to shave off to avoid so he could be up earlier um but yeah I think it is. It makes a little bit of sense, but it is also disappointing as a fan, especially if it's something more along the lines of Super Two than you know just plain years of control. From a fan perspective, if it's just Super Two, then that's idiotic. You're saving, you know, maybe five to ten million dollars to bet you know, at the at best, unless Luis Garcia explodes into a super super duper star this is not going to be a huge amount of money that you're going to be saving that it's weird to mess with this development just to save. If it's year of control, you know, from a, a Nats fan perspective, I'm glad if he's going to be good, he'd be on the Nats for longer from a player perspective, you know, player fan perspective. It's really shitty uh, that you know, you're going to be, you know, so nakedly just be like, well, we're going to keep you down so that uh, what I'm seeing longer, here, I haven't, you don't get to done the math myself, and it would make sense. Reddit post from three uh, days ago, you know, he's just going to be older uh, when he, he finally a gets you know, a free agent. That makes it harder for him to increase his earnings. Um, so, so if they wanted to I, try I get and it, not but also, hit super two, uh, be disappointed. <clears throat> um, 
he would have to be called up like the middle of July. Is what I'm saying here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so that would be bad. If they waited that long, that would be ridiculous. I think the service time cutoff is the end of May. I think somebody else tweeted that. So even that making a miss two whole months of the season is pretty bad, but almost defensible. If they waited until July, that'd be ridiculous. Uh, you know, the other annoying thing, mm-hmm. which really just makes them look kind of bad. And if Garcia wanted to file a grievance over service time manipulation would really help them is that they, with D strange Gordon coming back off the IL, they decided to option Lucius Fox back to AAA, and D, you know Gordon will now be the backup shortstop. Uh, and since Lucius Fox is in AAA, he'll be switching. Him and Garcia will be switching between mm-hmm. shortstop and second base. Which then, ostensibly, the one reason Luis Garcia is still in AAA is they yeah. want him to work on his defense at shortstop and cut down on his errors and get used to playing the position and try to, you know, really understand it well before calling him up to the majors. If that's your excuse, why are you making him split time with this other guy? Who's completely useless uh, in triple a at shortstop, you know, why are you making him play second base? So it's just completely ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, the way it plays out, maybe that's not actually what happens. But um, and looking at these it numbers would just here, be very funny. Uh, if, they were using know, all of a sudden Garcia is playing a lot of second base. Uh, Super it's two like, number. Well, what, what do you mean? Which was the lowest he's still in the last down decade for shortstop defense. He's not playing shortstop. Yeah. Twenty twenty one wasn't far off though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I would expect that. that That's the one thing I was saying earlier. I'd expect that to be higher, um, especially one because 2019 was the lowest in the last decade. So even just normally on average, it should be it should be higher. Yeah. But especially because uh, I think the last year or two, yeah, there were multiple a lot of rookies opening day rosters this year. Um, be started earlier uh, all right. uh, in the year. So they should be that number should be a little bit higher than 2019. Yep. A uh, couple of injuries. Um, so do little so did well one, and then immediately got hurt. I don't know if there's anything and else. And then on, like, the, today the was overall moved from the 10 day injured list to the 60 day level list. Yeah, there's a couple interesting thing with like players themselves, but. Yeah, so he's basically oh, going to yeah, have a couple of rehab outings and then hopefully come out and throw some fire so that he can then get moved somewhere else. Which would now yeah. put him you know, end of June, basically. At best. Yeah, so that that will make it a lot harder. Um, it's unfortunate. One, because we like Sean Doolittle, and it's 
fun to watch him pitch and it's fun to say do at the stadium. So, and he, like you said, and we've said before, he had started out pretty hot. Uh, so it was fun to watch him do well, but then also it would be a lot easier to trade him for something useful if you had April, May, June, three, you know, three months of looking yeah. pretty good, having your nice rising fastball again, getting guys out on it, like we had talked about before. That's an easy, easy, very easy piece to trade at the deadline. Everybody is looking for relief pitching because everybody uses way too much relief pitching in the playoffs now and even in the regular season. So that is that's like the one asset people don't pay for it too much in the off season, but in the middle of the season, you can still get a pretty decent return uh, for a relief pitcher. Yeah, just because there's not that many sources where you can find one, and you at that point should have as a contender. And, and he's the way that teams and has use a relief pulse, pitchers now, so you should have a very good idea between your major league roster, your triple A, and your double A. <laughs> exactly how many relievers you can rely on you have right now and almost every team nowadays finds that that's not a high enough number so they need to trade for ones from not as good teams yeah so i i think if he's able to come back healthy before the deadline and get a couple of appearances in they'll still be able to trade him just for those reasons it just at this point you would mm-hmm. not get much of a return it'd be kind of like the kyle schwarber trade well, the Schwarber was still mm, injured Alder at that Ramirez point. Is sticking out in my uh, head. Where you didn't get, you know, it wasn't nobody. It was somebody with some intriguing tools. I think in Harada Carrillo uh, as a pitcher. Uh, was it Carrillo or was it Aldo Ramirez? Which one did they get back? Okay. I think Carrillo was the fourth guy in the Dodgers Scherzer Trey Turner trade. Now I got to look up. They traded too many people all at the same time. <laughs> um, but it, oh, I do. What I do remember though is that it was yeah, Aldo Ramirez pitching was a pitching prospect Boston sent back for Kyle Schwarber, who was somebody who was the single or double A, had a couple cool, you know, pretty good pitches, some interesting tools, some other tools they didn't really have at all yet. Couldn't hadn't really put it together at all. Yeah, he was at single A Salem. Had a good ERA, uh, <laughs> but I think also had some injuries as well. So you know, it was a very much a mixed bag. He was still pretty young. He's only 20 years old. He's about to turn 21 uh, in two days from now on May 6th. So happy early birthday to him. But that, that, I think that's kind of the return. It's something like that, maybe a little bit worse version of that, that you could get for Sean Duell, an injured Sean Doolittle, because he's just not going to have yeah. enough time to prove you can rely on him. And based on his track record the last two seasons, you know that's just not any team really doing their research is just not going to be yeah. sure enough of it to really want to pay a high price for him. Which is unfortunate. Because I think you, you might have been able um, to get it. Other injured list designations change. Anibal Sanchez moving the 10 day to 60 day. That he looked like his 2019 uh, self again. 40 man spot. With the way he was pitching, the way his velocity was. Um, they could have gotten a pretty good good price, even with some bad season previously. Yeah, I think somebody I saw a joke on Twitter that he's McClousing, McClusing, 
Nate McClouse, the Klein McClouse, famously signed a two-year deal, I believe, entering 2014 to be a backup outfielder for the Nationals. Uh, never played a single game <laughs> that entire two years for the Nats because he just had so many different injuries. Um, so, you know, Annabelle obviously has played with the Nationals before, famously in 2019. Uh, it was kind of a fun story that you get to see him, you know, if he was able to come back and, and start a couple more games. It was a, it's a uh, neck injury dealing with right now. Uh, sadly. Um, it, but again, 60-day transfer for him in a similar isn't fashion. really all that it's just bad because it just means that he can't come back to their the goal and now. It's hard it was to, backdated to, to April 8th, whatever day one of the season was. So hopefully uh, we will be able to still see him this year. Um, yeah, I don't think he would have been that much of a trade candidate anyways. Uh, not like Doolittle, uh, unless he was phenomenally out of nowhere. Uh, starting pitching isn't in demand as much. And Anibal is not somebody who's really worked out of the bullpen before. So it's not like some of these other guys, like even like Eric Fetty or somebody like that who has done some long man work and you could say, well, uh, you can see some of those guys do get traded for, uh, the Nets might have a candidate in Aaron Sanchez with two ways instead of Annabelle, uh, where it's somebody who can start, but has also had experience in the bullpen yeah. and has done well in the bullpen. And what you'll see is a lot of contenders where they have like one or two starters, elite starters who are injured, but they expect to come back. So probably the Mets, Probably the Dodgers too will be in this boat based on you know who are on, who's on their team that they expect them to be back in October. They're doing well. They don't necessarily need to get somebody awesome because you know they're in a good playoff position, but they also can't afford to just pitch a complete nobody every five days and risk you know picking up all those losses. So the the best move is to go for somebody like Aaron Sanchez who can start give you five innings can start for a month and a half. And then once you start ramping up for the playoffs and these injured guys are coming back, you can easily push him into the bullpen and he'll be able, he'll understand he'll do the role well and he'll be able to fill the role well. And you know that he can on is not somebody who really has the pitch mix for that or the experience of doing that. So, you know, he wouldn't be as good of a candidate for uh, being along those lines. So I think, when he does get healthy, if he does come up to the Nats, yeah. he's probably going to stay with the Nats for the whole year uh, as a starting pitcher, just kind of filling up innings. So hopefully he can get back and we can see him. But neck impingement is a difficult one because uh, if you have any lingering pain whatsoever, that can really mess with your mechanics, especially as a pitcher. And then uh, uh, so that, that's something that has to clear 100% front. or you Both can risk Strasburg throwing and yourself Ross, off uh, much worse today. by trying to compensate for it slightly. So while you're trying to get that's healthy. That's a positive. You know, while, while you're starting uh, Adrianza. And then you're not uh, pitching like yourself. Uh-huh. Good. Nice. Yeah, they slowed him way down. <clears throat> no. Yeah. 
I think the only negative, sorry, um, um, Adrian, the only negative with Strasburg hey, and Ross is I don't think Strasburg and Ross cuts, were on the so same schedule before in April. I think Strasburg was supposed to be a couple weeks ahead of him. So, <laughs> um, uh, Adrian, yeah, no, I don't uh, think they sped Ross on up. a uh, Alter G treadmill. So that, that's all on the Strasburg weightless team. treadmill. Is that like the underwater guy? He shouldn't throw at people. Um, and then Boom has not begun throwing yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably the, the underwater one. Yeah, that's bad because that's now slower than he was supposed to be. Because Keyboom was supposed to be at like rehab games middle of May. I think his original timeline was six weeks from end of March, beginning of April. Yeah. So he's going a little slower. Adrianza, that's way slower. Uh, running in water is something he's like, like RG3 and those guys in football are coming from ACL injuries. That's like one of the first things they do when they're like eight months away from coming back. So. Uh, that's definitely a yeah, apparently sign. I don't remember exactly what his injury is. And on the night, maybe it's something April, that can, uh, they that said that has he a was quicker slowing. recovery um, time. Key boom. That is, uh, and this is just uh, the first activity you can do. They said but that he was able expected to, ramp up to faster resume that, playing but, like catch last week. So the week of the 12th, uh, and he did not. And then Mark Zuckerman says today that Keyboom has not begun throwing the ball yet. So three, four weeks behind now. Keyboom, Gotcha. Yeah. So that's bad. Yeah, I think at that point, yeah, the only positive you can hope for out of that is somehow this extended pause can help him get, you know, and then his build up afterwards <laughs> can help him kind of get reset back to basics and kind of get um, mind back around playing I'm baseball and kind of maybe can get him unlocked. Tyler Clipper getting back to the level that was expected of him. Doesn't a couple appear years that he's ago, taking it so far. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath too much, but yeah, we've seen weirder things. No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I think Mason Thompson might have gotten hurt. Like, so he must be telling him something that night. Maybe good. the night at like it I is a little like surprising. Right after, based on the number of reliever injuries they've had, I don't think you mentioned Hunter Harvey in there um and i don't remember if we actually mentioned last time mason thompson is injured uh so yeah i think it was yeah 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 that might have been it um he kind of fell in different parts uh i think there's one more mason thompson injured? apparently got hurt on april 10th no and then they you know they've sent they had to cut yeah, the we roster just didn't down talk about him at all so sorry, buddy. guys like patrick murphy <laughs> down um and yeah. So, but yeah, we've seen a lot of pitchers. They've already used 21 pitchers this year. That's wow. So we just completely we just didn't talk about him, which is unfortunate because he's kind of an intriguing prospect. So that is way too many pitchers to use. So it is it is interesting that if you were Tyler Clippard and you've seen that this team has already used 21 different pitchers. 
uh, and you are not one of them and have had multiple injuries already and plenty of guys who are not very effective either. Uh, you would definitely be wondering if you're going to be able to get to come up and have a chance. Yeah. So the fact that he did not opt uh, out let's see. must mean that they've given him some sort of AAA, more specific plan. A very of long stack of when they're expecting him to come up. His minors. What they need um, working on in AAA to be ready to, to come up games, and all that. And innings, and he's agreed with it. So six ERA, hopefully we see him soon. A whip of almost two. Walks per nine, 9.6. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, he'd fit right in, so it'd be Ex- fine. Uh, so I guess that that's also a reason not to opt out. <laughs> Sounds good? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so one thing... I mean, honestly, I could see a bunch of pitchers with a five, six ERAs. I'd be okay with it if all of their walks per nine were like 0.7 or lower. If we just, if you're just getting hit around all the time and giving up runs and giving up big home runs and all that, but also you're not walking batters, that's fine because that's still entertaining to me. What I do not (laughs) want is to see Uh, three relievers strikeouts one inning because. You know, he started the inning, he walks a guy, you take him out, you bring in a new reliever, uh-huh. he walks two guys, gets one out, then he, he leaves and then you bring in another reliever to walk somebody else. Just uh, put the bat on your That's shoulder torture. and hope for the best. So it, apparently just don't swing. Just Everybody's plan so far against Tyler Clippert has been to just stand there and see what happens first. Yeah, which uh, is a great strategy with the new uh, time rules and how you know batters have to be ready to hit at ten seconds. Not just in the box; they have to be. You, know, you can't be twirling your bat. You have to be in the position that you're gonna swing from uh, after ten seconds yeah, after the previous terrible. pitch. So, hey, if it's Tyler Clippard, that's an easy thing to do. Just don't move the entire time. You'll always be ready for the next pitch and you know, the decent shot there that you get walked instead of striking out. That was my strategy in a little league triple a with the nine, 10 year olds. And it's the first time people would kid pitch and just very rarely swing. You just stand there and watch, you know, most likely they're going to throw four balls <laughs> and even more likely the fourth <laughs> ball will be to the backstop. And even most likely the catcher, won't know that you can keep that a a walk is a live ball and the runner can keep going. So my move was always you just sprint (laughs) and you take second base while the catcher ambles back to the pass ball. That was the fourth ball. Uh, And then you're on second base and then just keep taking bigger and bigger secondary leads until the catcher finally tries to throw you out with his noodle arm that can't throw it fast a second to get third base. And then you just stay on third base until they throw another pass ball and then you score. It's a pretty great strategy. <laughs> Does 
I unfortunately uh, really see, stopped working very quickly as the kids. Day, both the pitcher and um, the batter and the catcher so get better. A couple at weeks ago, we talked about the the when pitch comp system, you know, 11, 12, 13, and how we weren't sure how not the match was strategy you can be executing. It sounds like uh, after initially being like hell no, they are they are actually taking to it quite nicely. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is exactly what we get, we predicted, was that your your first reaction would just be like, oh, that's that's changed, that's different, I don't like that. Um, especially with the way they have to kind of wear the receiver in their hat. And it sounded like in the article, uh, Allison Voth was telling a very funny story where uh, since they have a limited number of receivers, because they want to make sure teams aren't using some sort of shenanigans with the receivers, uh, it, it easy to keep track of them. Uh, they have a limited number, but that means that not all of your relievers get to wear one the whole game. So they generally put one on right before they're coming into the game, or it could even be the case where you know the the pitcher coming out gives the ball and pitch com receiver to the manager, and then the manager gives both to the pitcher who who's coming in, who then has to quickly hook up the pitch con radio in his hat. And then do his warm up pitches and be ready to go. And Austin both was telling a funny anecdote where <laughs> one of his games, I think there's a picture of it. Uh, he put it on so quickly to start warming up and then forgot where he had put it and then realized that, and he couldn't hear it and he was getting confused <laughs> while he couldn't hear it. And then finally realized that he had put it like on the back of his hat facing out. And so he didn't really have time to like try to readjust it and move it. So he was just like picking it up and like holding his hat up to his head. Like he was listening to like a phone I mean, do it. and then would put his hat back on and then would do the pitch. Uh, so that was one of the, I think one of the Nat suggestions was uh, you maybe uh, we make it that every pitcher can have a mm-hmm. receiver in their hat. Um, and it would be interesting yeah. to see if they can get, you know, if, if the players like it, you could see the technology advance enough to be like the NFL where, you know, the NFL, they have the radios and the play they're in the helmet. And then you just have like that little green sticker on each helmet that has a radio. Uh, and then, you know, which ones and, you know, you know, it's easy for a ref to see, okay, you don't have too many people with a radio on the field right now. Uh, and things like that. So it, it could be something where pitchers hats specifically, it can have like a radio like embedded in the, the rim of the hat in some way that you know they don't have to kind of mess with it as much. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it, yeah, it was I definitely had the, funny the to same see thought it, it exactly the, uh, as predicted the where they all, the they all I didn't think didn't about like it and then building them into the hat. Somebody that, broke the ice to use it. Know, is definitely and everybody step, saw that it seemed to be working a again, lot better. I, 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 like, oh, I the, guess I'll use it too. And then the thought process of also like, well, liked what it. the hell's the issue of like all of the relievers having it if they're just sitting in the bullpen? <laughs> it's fair. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just because it's early and you have teams like the Astros and Rays and uh, Yankees and Red Sox that, you know, you're a little wary of just handing them a new piece of technology and giving them a lot of it and then not keeping very good track of it. And mm-hmm. then they come up with some yeah. sort of ridiculous plans because, uh, you know, the Nationals in a more wholesome way were <laughs> messing with, you know, we're coming up with their own custom stuff with it. Uh, I think it was Fetty and Ruiz were talking about that there wasn't a call for a pickoff play. Uh, and Fetty wanted to do a pickoff play, and Ruiz had no way to put that into the pitch com. So he's they it sounded like they were stuck there for a while until he finally, you know, gave up on it or maybe gestured in some way that what he wanted to do, or maybe just did it. <laughs> Who's to say for sure? Uh and so mm-hmm. that they were talking about like maybe you would send like a specific sequence of like knuckleball cancel or something like that you know you you say or like knuckleball in the dirt or something like that that the pitcher would then know oh that means you're calling and i mean that's that's play. the thing that's so cool about uh, this and is then like it turned you know as they're after continuing they had that out to uh, essentially other provide people feedback, given feedback on that, that they can adjust able to program in real time the ability to of, then, you, you do a specific okay, cut sequence. We've got enough feedback that we need to pick off. And it'll say we're going to update it so that everyone instead. now has the ability to do X with it. And you're not waiting till next season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it's really cool. And, but you can definitely see, like, even with that little anecdote, where it's a very wholesome, good purpose for it. You can say, "Well, what yeah. if somebody did that, yeah. but for nefarious reasons?" I think you get a lot worse. So uh, you definitely, uh, I understand them trying to keep track of it, but uh, I think the Nats had a good point no. that it, it it's got to be something where every pitcher, particularly has it if you're going to go in, how uh, and then you have word. some way of limiting. Your extra one for the the infielder, however that like ends that. up or maybe happening, I I don't really see that, that point issue with everybody having it. Not necessarily. a whole lot of it. You know where the, the ball field. is supposed to be um, going. You but know, aside from that, you're not like okay. Out. Well, we need to be over here now, as far as the infield. Like you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and even yeah. then, you might have some defensive positioning, but then that's also, you know, it, that could be a disadvantage if the catcher goes in and presses like fastball away, and then I, as a hitter, look out and I see every single yeah. fielder shift three steps to their left. You know, if I'm a left handed hitter, I have a I think he might be about to throw this pitch away. <laughs> it's like, I don't think this is going to be an inside pitch because yeah. all the defenders just moved as if I'm going to hit it more likely to the opposite field. So uh, I, I, there's nothing that I see in that communication between the pitcher and the catcher about knowing the pitch that can't be shared with the rest of their teammates. Uh, I think it might just be right now, just kind of a tradition thing where you don't, you want it to kind of mimic what people who are doing hand signals can see and 
generally that's just the pitcher can see it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's maybe you know the middle infielder, um, maybe the outfield, the center fielder if he has very good eyesight. They can't call uh, from the dugout if they're calling signal, a game from the dugout. Unlikely. It has to be hand signals, right? Uh, and so that's they're like, well, those are the people who can learn it. But I, I don't see any issue with all of the fielders knowing what pitch is called. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. So I, I think that would be something you would want to see is that it couldn't be it, the could the dugout can't be manipulating it in some way. That it can only be there's only one broadcaster mm-hmm. and that's on the catcher. And but you can have as many receivers as you want and then you kind of work with it that way. And then you could also look into you know potentially yeah. ways where you can you turn off or the catcher, you know, they already have them checking like the pitcher's hands. So it could also be something where the catcher has to turn in the broadcaster, you know, between defensive innings so that they don't have it while they're on offense. So there's nothing, you there's nothing weird you can kind of do where it's like, Oh, the runner, you know, you can give him signals while he's on base or things like that. Or you can try to you know, tell them stuff while they're batting. It's like no, you you know, you have one broadcaster and we've taken it. You know, if we can yeah. tell or something's given away that you I are hearing really something. I did really enjoy the uh, the you know, bit they had about Josh trouble, Rogers. So, yeah, I don't think where too they hard talked to about him basically talking shit about, about it on Twitter, and then you know, two months later he was the first Mets pitcher to use it, passing, you know, giving it back out when the the catcher comes back out. Yeah. 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 That that was great. I mean, the whole article is just along those lines because it was also just funny. It's like, oh, yeah, everybody wasn't really yeah. sure about it. And then, like, yeah. their first major piece of feedback is can we have more receivers so all the pitchers have one? <laughs> like, so you just went from nobody really wants to use this to everybody wants to use this. And now it's cumbersome to us that we don't have enough for everybody to have at once. It's such a such a quick turn. So I think it's really cool. I think it'll speed up the games once people get used to it. Uh, once they kind of figure out, you know, one of the other issues we've seen is the volume problem where, you know, some pitchers were having trouble hearing uh, the signals in very loud stadiums. Uh, you know, I think there was, I saw at least one Mets game where the Mets pitcher at one point finally just yelled at the catcher uh, that he couldn't hear shit. And then the catcher, they had to just go back to hand signals instead. Um, and I think it'll hopefully solve, you know, any issues we would see in terms of sign stealing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it last time that to potentially you could try <laughs> to break into the transmissions and you know yeah, steal yeah, a receiver you're, you're or hack other into there. the broadcast um, and then know what sign is being said. Uh, but it that's a lot less likely to occur and a lot more illegal. <laughs> yeah. But you know, at a federal uh, level, not just the, the baseball the level volume though. I want to see the baseball so, equivalent of the quarterback yeah, with his the, hands yeah, on the ear holes that before trying to hear it, what it's a lot less is. likely than somebody to try to claim that their, their basic sign ceiling scam is, you know, just innocent, you know, baseball shenanigans. Yeah. Well, uh, 
Yeah, that's the other interesting yeah. thing to me is if we see st- you know, things a lot, if we see crowds kind of adapt to it, where you have when your pitcher, you know, when your team is pitching at home, you are people going to be quiet. And then once the pitcher gets set, then does like the crowd get really loud uh, right before the pitch. And then on the other hand, when your team is at bat, do you just always try to get loud, make a bunch of noise and make it really hard? for the pitcher to hear uh, the pitch comp, because that could also be an interesting yeah. advantage of, you know, especially if they bring in the pitch clock as well, uh, then, you know, this pitcher, you got to get the pitch off. Uh, so do teams make it like a default or do you, you have to go back to a hand signal instead if the pit, you, you know, mm-hmm. pitcher just can't hear what's coming off the pitch comp. And the interesting thing would be like, you know, how, if you're dependent on it now, you know, how, how, complicated is your backup could it be that you have a runner in second you're trying to use <laughs> well the pitch and it's too loud to your point and now the, the catcher crowd, just has to do how like quickly two do teams down for a curveball start because to adjust you like come up with in-game scoreboard you know stuff, explicit you know where it's like okay be quiet for a second thought the pitch comb would work now get loud. and now the runner on second can more you know could be like it curveball <laughs> curveball is coming Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quiet, please. Offense at work. <laughs> Quiet, please. Signaling. Yeah. Well, then, do you, should you put a receiver? Well, apparently, that's uh, a thing with the guy experience. who's operating I the scoreboard. Read this thing and then on the athletic the other day, the Mavericks right, have a guy. The got, you know, his only job is to turn the up pitch has the been selected and it's like uh, noise now. Rim mics. When a shot goes in, it's got really just micro so literally they had videos of him like a shot goes off and he's watching it and he goes up and down. So you hear the swish and that's it. And then it goes back down <laughs> and he does it, you know, 200 times a game. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. I think that is it from a nationals level. Anything league wise. Uh, uh, There are so many jobs in the world. Richard Scaria could never conceive of the number of jobs we have now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The only other thing I'd want to mention is do not observe Caber Ruiz. Just let him do whatever he's doing. Because the second anybody notices that he's doing well, he starts doing badly. Nicely, the reverse. Anytime <laughs> somebody's really kind of mentioned that he's doing poorly, he starts hitting again. So if Caber Ruiz is doing poorly, you can say, hey, I think Caber Ruiz is not doing that well. And that'll help him out. He'll do well. Yeah, but I mean, he's if hitting, he is doing well, do not say anything. Just like a pitcher with a no-hitter or a perfect game yeah. or Max Scherzer when he's pitching or a rookie who's just hit his first home run coming back to the dugout. Yeah. Ignore it. Yeah, 267, 300, 333. I mean, he would definitely be helped if he could get more walks because then it wouldn't be so dependent on his pabip going up and down. Um but yeah, he's also somebody. Hopefully, we can see more power from once the weather gets warmer as well, and, and that will help as well. Um, 
Uh, the so, only other real big but, thing, like I said, every single time so far, I've in noticed the league over the last been like, hey, couple of weeks, well, uh, we finally got it's the opposite direction. Resolution somebody seems or anytime you really kind of notice that he's Trevor Bauer, the other so just, uh, situation somehow don't uh, notice him. 324 games he's been suspended. Um, yeah, yeah, that's why I said it that way. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, that's you know. Sounds so much cooler than two years. Three hundred twenty-four games. Wow. Yeah, so that carries him through the end of his Dodgers contract, um, which uh, obviously the Dodgers would like. Uh, I don't think he'd come back from that. Uh, so it, it also. Uh, I've seen a couple of reporters mm-hmm. say, and, and we also did see the Washington Post right after the suspension did finally get enough confirmation and cross-checking on their story that they felt comfortable releasing a story from another accuser of Trevor Bauer from Cleveland back when he was on uh, the Guardians. Um, and yeah, had very similar details to the story in LA. Uh, so you're not surprising. It's something that Right. It, it, the rest of the it was way his text messages and the rest of the story and his reaction to the story came off. It was not something he ever really denied. Right. Any of the actions besides, you know, the, that exactly. skull was fractured, yeah. I think was the only thing he ever denied. But he never so, denied I mean, you, you know, the way he was being rough and beating. Some and, crazy Yeah, it was all about his oh, well. You, you have he, to imagine he wanted he's it not that way too. That. So it was all the consent. And the, it was all just oh, the context was that it was okay and just absurd. Um, <laughs> so it. Yeah. No, and I mean I think at this point, if his appeal, he somehow wins. The Dodgers are just going to well. Him. And they have the money. MLB doesn't uh, want to have to deal with that part you know, of the question. And MLB as you know, a Manfred whole, of like what happens if his contract is still in play, kind of independently. But you know, ends, so he has conversations. Let's you know, just make sure that's not a Dodgers question either about this. Absolutely. And, yo. Right. No, I, I think it's well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we never have to see him pitching again. Uh, and yeah, I mean, but that was other thing. Like the other reason why it's it's 324 games is it's pretty clear that MLB has heard some of these other stories. Uh, and even though it might not be something that can mm-hmm. rise to the level of being able to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law, which is always difficult because you need evidence and a lot, you know, physical evidence and a lot of that stuff is hard to really collect in a case like this. A lot of it is more just you know, setting the context. And if the defendant is able to muddy the water enough on what the context of something was, then it's going to be hard to really get that. Right. Uh, you know, Those charged, have to be but looked at. It is a lot easier for somebody um, like, MLB to was look the, at was what is available, look at the pattern, kind of analyze it. Do you we know, that's know something that else was you can't really do 
basically in a court you can't look at part five of different cases and say here's this pattern of him doing this mm-hmm. it's case by case yeah Mm-hmm. Okay. So nothing. MLB hasn't confirmed anything either way. Yeah, you know, I think they just their statement was just you know more. He's been suspended for a violation of the um, domestic abuse a policy, um, and I don't think they got into any more detail. Uh, but the I think the implication is based on the severity of the penalty uh, that it was not that they. They had, you know, and the fact that this the post was able to report mm-hmm. that story, you know, almost right afterwards, uh, and there was rumors of other stories as well that weren't quite to the level that you know the person either the person wasn't comfortable enough sharing it publicly in that manner, but would share it privately to you know concerned parties uh, like MLB who was looking into the punishment, um, or in some cases, you know. The, the post or you know, whoever got the newspaper that got the story weren't able to cross-check it, confirm the details, get it to a point where they were comfortable releasing that without having a, a, a major court case on their hands, uh, especially since Bauer has proven to be very lawsuit happy uh, uh, pretty unexpected, you know, pretty expectedly. Uh, somebody like that would just start suing everybody. Um, so it, it's definitely okay. the implication that I've seen from some other reporters was that right, MLB well, that, knew, you know, it wasn't just this one woman uh, anything in Los else Angeles that, that started it. They <laughs> knew about these other stories. They had interviewed some of these other women. Uh, and end on you know, that, that went into their decision as well. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Should we talk about another topic? Yeah, I guess we got to switch. We definitely have to add one more. Can't really finish on that topic. Um, oh, uh, they announced more information about Ryan Zimmerman Day's retirement day. Uh, so actually, he also had his UVA retirement number retirement ceremony last weekend, um, where. Uh, they did it in the Virginia Virginia Tech game, and luckily the the Hokies were triumphant. Took two of three that weekend. I think they the uh, Cavaliers were nice to Zimmerman, though they did win the game where they retired his jersey. That was the one game of that three game series they managed to win, uh, which is nice of them. But yeah, June seventeenth and eighteenth will be Ryan Zimmerman's number retirement. In DC, I'm happy it's a, a big like two day yeah, event. That's that's a long list. And both days are going to be kind of important. Uh, they're bringing back, uh, ex, you know, ex teammates. Um, so a lot of player alumni that could end up being a lot of different people since Zimmerman has been here since September yeah. 2005, all the way up until last year. Uh, it'll be pretty wild. I'm hoping that it's going to be like a really big group that you can see everybody from like Chad Cordero, Brian Schneider to you know, Gerardo Parra. Um, you know, it's not yeah. just like a representative, you know, it, which would still be fine. But if it was just like, here's Ian Desmond and Jason Worth and Chad Cordero and, you know, 
uh, trying to think of somebody on the more mod, you know, and Howie Kendrick or something. Well, I mean, hell, he's so going to have, have four players several teammates that are different in the opposing dugout of that afternoon. So Ryan Zimmerman was on the team, which would be fine, uh, but I think it would be much more fun Harper. and more annoying to him personally to have <laughs> like a hundred teammates um, show up again, and it would be really cool as an athlete. That's true. Yeah, uh, Kyle Schorber, Brad Hand. <laughs> yeah, Bryce Harper, too, I guess. <laughs> Probably the more relevant one. Um, so, no, I think it'll be really cool. Uh, I, yeah, but overall, I'm glad you know, they had a ceremony for Jason Worth, mm-hmm. and they put him up in the Ring of Honor, and it was, you know, Jason Worth is fine, and right. you kind of understand you know, where he fits in the team history and that you'd want to honor him. But that was one of my concerns is Zimmerman would get a sort of similar treatment day. Uh, and it would be kind of like, it's not really equivalent <laughs> worth versus Zimmerman. So I'm, I'm much happier that it's, it's going to be, you know, two days, it's like the whole weekend. They're going to have, it's huge events. They're right. pushing the Saturday game time back to have some pregame events. They have a adult giveaway on Friday. Yeah. They have a kids giveaway on Saturday. Um, you know, his number is actually going to be <laughs> retired, not just you know you know put in a ring of honor or anything like that. Um, so I, I think they're doing it right, and they're announcing so much of this uh, so early, which you know, Commanders fans would be shocked that you were allowed to announce something like this so much ahead of time. Uh, which I, and hopefully there will be no porta potties anywhere near the event, unlike the Commanders one. Let's, uh, let's Taylor. see. I'm so, going to the team website. Uh, right I'm excited. Now. I already have tickets for both games. So it should you be buy tickets time. for $26. And hopefully right we now. get a lot of Nats fans, even if the team is not doing well. A lot of Nats fans that come out for that weekend, so yeah, they don't there. have. They're to have all over. Fans Lots of the, you know, upwards in the four hundreds, all the way down the outfield, like basically the infield and the uh, club level appears to be more or less sold nice. out. So that's about it. So yeah, it's a good price. Um, Where is section 200? Dan, if you want to sit near me, I'm sitting in uh, section 200 on Saturday. No, nah, we were like 216. But I picked 200 so yeah. that it could be slightly in the shade. We were on the first base side. No, four o'clock start on we were like Saturday. on the first base right there. Uh, it's that second level. Um, it's right by, you used to have tickets over there. It's like you didn't have like tickets in 203, right? Nice. Oh, you were on the other side? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, 200 is the third base side. It's like right when you go up the ramp uh, to the 200 section. If you're walking, there's like a small number of seats that aren't club level before you hit the club, uh, which are definitely the best seats um, for a busy game because they they have a couple of their own concession stands that nobody else in their right mind would go to. We were up uh, in uh, three, sense for them. 
13, but they're very short sections, something like completely that. Completely undercover uh, for the opening only weekend. The very games. back rows of them uh, are really are nice impacted seats. too much by that. Aside cover, from the fact that you get see, assaulted by the uh, and then that's yes, that's that people to see the and stuff like that. So that was a little intense. But aside from that, great seats. <laughs> no i that's the the best thing about nets park um you know the character could probably be a little yeah. bit better um they could have some cheaper food and drink options not everything needs to be over ten dollars uh which the nets I, I think the Nats do a really great job on the food in terms of like their high level offerings and having all those district draft stands and <laughs> they have some really cool like arepas, pupusas, yeah, and also bringing in like local restaurants like Hard Times and Ben's Chili Bowl and all those kind of things. I think is a really great way. You know, I think they have a good connection, but also there is definitely that that ping of why can I not just buy a hot dog mm-hmm. for two dollars? Why is this hot dog five dollars? Why is everything expensive yeah you know but overall i think it gets a bad rap a lot from writers mostly because they have to sit in the press box that is too high compared to for writers compared to other stadiums but i think it's great because that means the nats gave Mm -hmm. those seats to fans to sit in and not to the writers the writers are put way up higher you know if you go to other stadiums like city field uh if you sit in the 400s that are like a on top of it's the their upper upper deck is on top of the press box so it's now super high up and is at this ridiculous like vertical you know you almost get vertigo mm-hmm. trying to walk up it seat yeah you, you don't have any seats like that at nats park uh the other benefit is if you go to places like oriole park at camden yards uh or the old historical parks like fenway or wrigley you get seats that just point you the complete opposite direction of home plate if you try to sit in it correctly, uh, Nats Park has right. pretty much no seats like that. Like maybe there's a <laughs> couple right around that first base, third base side level where you're pointing a little bit more towards second base and home, but it's they're wide enough. They're set up in a way that it's easy for people to kind of turn and be facing the right way uh, without you know jamming your knees into somebody else. So they, they definitely made a park that is great for watching yeah. baseball from wherever yeah, you're absolutely. sitting. Uh, and I think All right. it gets with that, a bad rap for not being cute it. or kitschy uh, or fun in some way. Let me look at the uh, calendar real quick and make sure. But it should get a better it should get a better reputation based on the, you know. Yeah, your so uh, we will be back in two weeks uh, somewhere between the 15th and the 18th to talk more Nats baseball. Uh, and until then, we are ghosts.